Staples. Hello, how are you? I'm I'm going very well. How are you? I'm pretty good. Sun's shining, birds are chirping. Sounds like a good day. It's a it's a Wednesday, but those those days thing much at the moment. The names of days, do they? No, no, and I don't think they mean much in the the world of podcasts either. I think times asynchronous in the world of yeah. podcasts. Yeah, we're in the we're in the time between Christmas and New Year's. Yes. Um, when when time did lose all meaning, but it's obviously we, there's not quite the the level of uh, of relaxation that you have in between that time. It's more of a uh, obviously a, a worldwide heightened anxiety right now. Yes, and probably an increased consumption of alcohol to be perfectly. Oh. Most most definitely, as we head into the cooler months, for some reason that the red wine is uh, even better than it used to be. That's right. So how's the, how's the whole working from home adjustment going with you? Um, wow, working from home for me, I, I actually used to think was something that I'd really like, that I would... Um, jump at any opportunity to work full-time from home, but I'm now really quickly backpedalling on any kind of grand statements that I've made to anyone in the past, mm-hmm. um, realising pretty quickly that um, I certainly draw my energy from others. Um, I was going to say, you're a very social and naturally social person and and this is uh, this is a form of torture, I can imagine. It, it is a form of torture and, and I did see a, a really good meme the other day where they were calling for introverts to check on their extroverted friends in isolation at the moment because yeah. um, we're, we're certainly the ones that probably need a little bit of help. Um, but, yeah, no, it is an adjustment like all things um, and I, I think that it's, it's certainly going to give some flexibility moving forward, but I think at the moment, whilst we're living in this kind of in-between state, this um, limbo state where you you can't enjoy the things that you would normally enjoy in this sort of flexible work-from-home environment, like, you know, going for a walk at lunchtime and meeting friends at a cafe and, um, you know, choosing different working hours. It's very much inside the house for long yeah, time. and yeah, and you and you wonder how how long it's going to take for people to feel you to to really feel comfortable around um, groups of other people again. It's going to be weird. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's certainly going to be an adjustment, and and potentially what the the new normal looks like um, for a extended period of time. So, so before we get into what, because I, I am interested to get your get your thoughts on the new normal so so for, for everyone out there listening to this Laura what what what, what do you do at a, at a, at a uh, I guess there's a job title thing but what what do, what do you actually do um, well I'm the the head of people and performance for a company called Laminix um, which is probably a well-known household brand um, people quite often think of it as the kitchen tabletops but um, I guess we're a surfaces brand um, and we've been around for 85 years, so uh, it's pretty awesome to be a part of a, a legacy Australian business. Yeah, and and what's the and how's Laminex um, adjusting to this? Uh, or, you know, as we're, we're sort of transitioning at the moment, it's not even a new normal. It's through this transitionary period. So how's how's the the Laminex crew going with everything? I think we're providing as much support to people as possible. I mean, like any business, we're not immune to everything that's happening in the world. Um, 
but one thing that is for certain we're 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 definitely bunkering down on strategy and and making sure that um, we stay true to what our vision and our organizational purpose is and um, I, I guess really just riding the waves with people and, and making sure we communicate as much as possible and, and we have that sort of transparent leadership, which I think is really important in these, um, I guess, crisis periods. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, honest and open and transparent communication is, uh, is huge for people right now and you're seeing it, you know, in the, in the ways that different countries and different leaders are getting the information across and sharing it with the population, which affects the, um, you know, does affect the mood of people. Yeah, and look, I think my role at the moment is really, whilst we we are in this period of uncertainty, um, one thing that I can do is get people comfortable in the uncomfortable. And I, I think that yeah. that's, that's probably, rather than trying to make promises and grand statements to um, give the certainty that people are after at the moment, I've kind of flipped that and, and said, well, whilst I can't provide that to you, I can um, tell you that it is okay to to feel anxious and, and it is okay to, um, you know, be feel worried and um, not know what the future holds, but that's where yeah. we can support. Yeah, whatever you're feeling is okay. Yeah. That's the, that's the right thing to be feeling. Yeah. So... Um... So I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you want to, like, and, and you might do a no comment on this, Laura, but what do you think in terms of, do you, do you have, uh, is there anything going on from a, you know, I guess this is, I, we can go micro or macro, but in terms of what the new normal could be, do you, what, what do you think is going to be different for people, um, I don't know, work-wise potentially, just on the, 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 the big word work, but what do you think will be different potentially coming out of the, all of this? Um, wow, it's a big question because I, I really think that we're in this this uh, period where um, you, you don't want to be a betting person and actually say, well, I know what the future is going to look like. Um, I think there's a lot of things that I can hope for the future um, and I, I do hope that organisations sort of take this as an opportunity to provide more support for their people um, and probably focus more around culture. I mean, this is where... You know, if, if culture is sort of, you know, the, the, the way we get things done, um, yep. you know, this is where you can put a lot more time and energy and focus in in being able to articulate your culture, being able to put culture in a box and, and package it up and, and send it out to remote workers. Um, I think now more than ever is when, when culture becomes more and more important. Um, so, look, I think new normal is going to be, uh, we're, we're certainly going to see a lot more remote workers. We're, we're certainly going to be seeing multiple generations get comfortable with technology. Um, we're probably yep. accelerating that faster than ever before. Um, we knew it was something that we needed, but um, this is, I guess, the 13th of March was really the date where um, it became a non-negotiable now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, and I, yeah, I think I, I do think that while it's there, there are there are things that I think was going to happen eventually. It's just that COVID has accelerated and sped the whole thing up. Yeah, and I think that that's that. I mean, that's certainly how a lot of my peers we're talking is that this is accelerated need for change. Um, and I think there are going to be organisations out there that, um, you know, were probably a lot more prepared that had that future of work mindset already. Um, 
and there were organisations out there that were probably a little bit naive and, and haven't actually got their future of mindset ready with their leaders and started building that adaptive capability. But Yeah, I'm sure there's a bunch of uh, organisations that looked at their, their strategy and thought, well, this is just a list of goals or objectives, yeah. so we need to completely, uh, I think there'll be a, a knife and a scalpel and a flamethrower taken to a few strategies and, and really rewritten in, under the harsh glare of, of the reality of what people are going to be like. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? I'd be actually really keen to hear what your thoughts are of what new norm is. Oh, are you turning it back on Yeah. Me? Well, this is two-way conversation, uh, isn't it? Uh, well, I didn't realise it was until now. Um, <laughs> what do I think? I, I, I do think that that there will be that the whole digital side of, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking more of a, you know, that I think the work will change and that, uh, as you said, I sort of hope that organisations really do look, uh, similar to you actually, that the, I, I think a lot of uh, leadership challenges is that it actually all comes down to culture and if organisations really focus on on looking after people because you're also building up as if, you, if you've got a really strong culture you're really building that bucket of almost goodwill that exists now so when you go through tough times people don't jump ship um they feel you know it's building that safety net that you feel every day and if you really focus on the safety of people you know that you can go through times that are transitionary that are uncertain and that people um are still going to turn up even if it's just turning up at home but they're still going to be doing the work for the business because they believe in it they feel safe in it they feel supported by it um I, you know I, I think there is a challenge around unfortunately it seems that whenever these these big moments hit it always seems to be the people that can't afford it that carry the load of it and you know you see that in so many of the the retail industry and the part times and the casuals that straight away get cut um, and, you know, the, the, and there's a lot of people out there that have never had to get the benefit, that are having to get the benefit and what that does for your mindset and how you feel about themselves. So, you know, I'd be interested to see how governments really look at the safety net for everybody and, uh, and, and maybe, you know, change the, change the way that, that we kind of collectively look after each other because the real, reality is for for everyone, they're going to realise, hey, we could have, uh, you know, even though it's still early days and we're going through this thing right now, you could have another pandemic in ten mm. years, and it could be, and it could be, um, it could be worse, or it could be better. But now that it's everyone's going through this, I think it would change the way that people look at things. Um, yeah, and I, and I think governments will really look at their role differently, um, maybe going forward. Yeah, I think uh, that. It yeah. It's also having this kind of mainstream effect on on how we talk about mental well-being. Um, yeah. And I, I think that it's giving, um, I mean, I, I'm certainly having more and more conversations through the day around um, feelings, which, you know, and these are with, with leaders that you would never have that conversation with, but where, yeah. uh, you know, our, our meetings are starting with how is everyone feeling? And um, I think you know, getting people comfortable with saying, you know what, I'm, I'm feeling pretty lonely today and um, so this is what I'm committed to and I, I'm going to reach out to my team and, and can people please, please reach out to me as well. Um, you know, these are conversations that we've we've never really had before or we've, we've never been mm -hmm. comfortable to have um, because we're always trying to put a front on and, and, and show up with our, I guess, our work personality that 
um, doesn't have feeling. So yeah, look, I, I think it's bringing a whole heap of acceleration um, and probably opens up a lot of opportunity for people as well. Yeah, and it brings it back to, as you said, it brings it, it makes people in some ways realise what's important. And, and as you said, it, and even though we're physically distant, there's, I think there's greater social connections between people. As you said, when you see people in people's houses and you see kids running along naked in the background and, and you know, the, you know, the, the family life is just naturally going crazy around people, it, it, you, you've got to be vulnerable. You can't put up walls. And I think when people see all this sort of stuff, uh, it does actually bring, it brings people closer together. Yes, and there's nothing like having a, um, a video call with, with your team with either a superhero in the background or perhaps a nudie run, which um, has happened for me uh, on one of my early morning calls with my son. So... I'm glad that you said it was your son. So that's <laughs> Not me. Out <laughs> of that clarity. So, um, so let's so let's talk about so head of people and culture. So if 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 I was meeting Laura Staples at 16 years old um, and asked her what what did she want to do, um, would that have been the response? No. Um... <laughs> I actually wanted to be a lawyer when I was 16, but I was quickly told I wasn't smart enough um, and was considered to be too creative and abstract in my thinking. So, hold on. Who, who said? Who said you're not? Who said? That? Oh, I had a few people um, that told me, and and you know, looking back on that, they're probably right. Maths and uh, English were not my strong position, but. Um, yeah, look, I, I think that it took me a while to actually discover what I wanted to do. Um, so, and I, so where did the law thing come from? Were you a were you an LA law fan, or was there another uh, another you know how how did the whole law thing for you or wanting to be a lawyer? Where did oh, that probably come a from? TV show, or probably you know seeing someone really impressive and in a a great suit, thinking that oh that's how I'd like to dress one day. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. When you're 16, you don't really put a lot of thought around why you want to be these things. It just sounded really cool at the time. Um, yeah. So, so I was gonna, so I was gonna say, what? So you said maths and English weren't, um, weren't the favourites at school. What were, what, what was school? Did you enjoy school? Was there stuff? What, like, how was school? I loved you? school. Um, uh, look, maths and English certainly not my strong suit. Um, I was uh, really. I was far more interested into art and design um, and interestingly business. So there was a lot of commentary around the combination of where my strengths were um, across business, art and design versus maths, English and science, um, which is probably how it's kind of informed how I've got to be where I am today um, and certainly the approach that I take with, I guess, being a little bit more creative and in my approach and, and thinking outside the box. Did you have business as a subject yes. at school? Yes, was my favourite what, subject. What, what, what school is this? Uh, I went to Abbotsley um, in Sydney. So I, I probably wrote my first business plan um, mission statement when I was in Year 7 or Year 8 and loved it. Wow. So I don't know. So, so, so Abbotsley, yes. is it? Um, tell tell me tell me about that school. Is that a um, was that was that a, a co-ed? No, it was a a, um, a private all girls school um, in Sydney's North Shore. So um, yeah. I was very fortunate. Um, 
certainly very lucky for my parents to have sent me to Abbotsley. Um, and I, I do think it opened up a ton of opportunity for me. Um, but And I, I probably tested the boundaries. I was always known to push the boundaries and get up to a little bit of mischief. But, you know, looking back, that was that's certainly been the foundation for me and um, I guess the opportunities that I've been given over the years. And was there, was there a, um, was it the subject matter itself or was there a teacher that also helped kind of spark the, spark the belief or the ideas that this is the sort of stuff that you could do and that you were good at? Uh, yeah, look, I think a mixture of teachers and um, just the community that the school brings. Um, you know, there's, there was a lot of, I grew up in the same suburb that the school was in and um, it had a really community vibe. Um, I think that my parents have been a really strong influence, but probably their friends as well, um, and and just the environment that I was brought up in um, has, yeah. has sort of shaped, you know, a lot of where I am today. Um, my, you know, I quite often reflect on how on earth I got into HR, um, and my my dad um, was an engineer or is an engineer, um, he's had his entire career in, in building and construction and that's basically where I've been. I've been in the um, the building industry for uh, the past 15 years and, and absolutely love it. And I think that was because of, you know, watching Dad on project sites and, um, you know, bringing the big blueprints home and, and seeing those things. And my mum is actually a teacher. So, yes. Yeah. You know, education and, and learning and um, providing people with opportunity, which is essentially what teachers do. They, they, they open up opportunities for, for kids and, and shape um, ultimately their future. And, and I guess that's what I get to do as part of my role now as well is, you know, remove obstacles that stand in the way of great work, which is kind of what I say that my purpose is, um, and, and give opportunities for people to to, to go forward and, and do amazing things. Can you remember, um, I just want to go back, you, 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 you briefly mentioned this mission statement. Um, was there a bit, was it a business that you obviously created and then you had to come up with the mission statement and all that sort of stuff? Do you remember um, what this business was that you created? Uh, I do actually, because I've saved my first ever business plan that I wrote. It was for an olive grove. Um, oh. which probably a um, bit of agriculture influence in my, my dad's side of the family. So I must have at the time thought of what's a business that I can talk to people that can help me um, put together. And so I chose an olive grove. Um, I can see you owning an olive grove. <laughs> um, and, yeah, look, I, I think I called it... Um, yeah, actually, no, I don't remember what I called it, but it was it was certainly a business that was going to deliver a lot of profit. Um, ultimately, what I was that was what I was there for. Yeah, exactly. So, and what does your was your as your mum a primary was she a primary school teacher or? Yeah, mum's a um, mum's a primary school teacher by trade. I guess you could say she's um, a principal now. So. Um, I, I did originally go to school. I went to the same school that my mum taught at, which um, is certainly uh, character-defining. Um, but then eventually I, I moved on to another school and I think that was a lot better. I stopped calling my mum by Mrs Barrett instead of mum, <laughs> which is funny. Yeah. 
Nice, nice. So, and and I've now I've asked you about this before, so you I know you you already know what I'm going to be asking. So I like to sort of find you. Know, you talked about your parents, and and when we get onto um, people, always have uh, music that they um, listen to through their parents. They sort of get those early influences of music through the parents, and then they kind of in a way rebel in regards to. There's always a band or a musician that they discover themselves. That's their own. Um, what was your um, what's, what was your first musical um, thing that you discovered that was outside of your your parents or, or your parents' friends group? Uh, well, music's probably been the one thing that my parents haven't influenced me on because my dad's a big classical fan and my mum's obsessed with Cliff Richard, so um, probably t- two two genres that I'm not really that interested in. But my my first album, which I've um, admitted to you somewhat embarrassingly was Bad Out of Hell by Meatloaf. See, I have to stop you there because there is nothing embarrassing <laughs> about Bad Out of Hell. It is one of the greatest albums of all time in, in my in my. I think um, the, the funny thing was, and, and this is, you know, that, um, probably common across most things, but I was always interested in... Um, uh, things of yesteryear. So I, I did like the fact that, you know, the album had been around for 10 years or so by the time I bought it um, and just loved that older style of music. My my other guilty pleasure was um, Paul Simon or Simon and Garfunkel, but more, more so Paul Simon, oh. You Can Call Me Al. Yeah, so the, the, the oh, Graceland perfect. Album. Oh, perfect. I know. Just the song, just the song Graceland is just like, yeah. oh, just... Knocks knocks me in the guts every time, but that's uh, well, that's a, that's a couple of great uh, musical um, pieces that you've latched onto. Yeah, I, I do. Um, I do always have a quite a diverse taste in music. Um, basically, anything that I can sing along to is is what most people know. As long as I can sing it, I'm I'm, and it doesn't matter what words. Just kind of the gist of the song is is kind of where I'm at. Oh, it's always great. I tell you, it's always great hearing someone singing to a song that's not getting the words right, but again, the gist. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be special to hear. Um, so, so when you so leaving school, so on, so the journey to to this whole. So, when you left school, did you go to? I uni? did. Yes. And what was the what was the focus at uni? Um, I did organisational learning. Um, did you? I didn't, I didn't yeah, I, I did that. Um, and I, I did a bit of org psych, but then sort of decided that I was uh, more interested in getting a job, um, full-time employment and income than spending more time at uni. And it was a little bit restrictive for me. So I was ready to kind of get out into the corporate world and, and start earning a paycheck. Yeah. So, so did you? So you did you sort of just drop out of uni and go? No, this isn't this isn't for me in terms of the subjects or the structure or something like that. I'm just going to go. No, I um, I completed my degree, but um, I had an opportunity to to continue on and and study, and I I decided no, I'm not going to um, uh, spend more time in this uh, education um, institution, and and I wanted to really get out there in the corporate world and um, I guess try. I mean, I was always someone. Um, when I when I started my degree, I, I had a had a job in HR um, because I had this philosophy that putting what you learnt into practice was going to get you further. Um, so yeah. I was 
just past my 19th birthday and working full-time in HR and um, studying in the evenings. Um, wow. Which, you know, I actually think that that's given me, um, I've, I've certainly accelerated my career a lot more by being able to work and study at the same time. Um, mm. So, and, and I also think it helps provide context to what you're learning. Um you know, we'd be sitting in in lectures at uni, and and whilst my my friends were, um, you know, hearing all of this stuff in theory, I was really able to relate and say, well, you know, this is actually happening in 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 my job at the moment, and um, I can share some examples of how it's played out in real life. Yeah, I think uh, I think universities are, you know, one of the again down down the track. I mean, the challenge with a lot of. Uh, a lot of people that might have been resistant to learning stuff online, if it's designed well and if it's a digital experience, there will be a lot of places that are going, well, you know, if someone can do this thing digitally now and they don't need to go to a place and if we can package it up in different ways, I think uh, some of these sort of more, again, formal institutions, traditional institutions of learning uh, are going to have to recreate themselves or you just find they'll they'll just become yeah. dinosaurs. And I, and I think that that space needs a, a really big shake-up um, and they, they really do need to think a little bit more outside the box of how we can build capability and, and workforce-ready people but, um, you know, in a way that's kind of suited more to today. Yeah, I, I yeah, I don't I don't even know if universities for for me university was always uh I just chose subjects based on the times that my mates were doing subjects and so we had time to generally all be at the pub at a certain time. So we 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 needed to find subjects that fit in with that schedule and I think it's I don't know, I think sometimes universities are almost like don't worry too much, you know, like there, there will always be career things, but it's almost like for me, university was uh, kind of a way station and, and uh, I don't know, a, a place of experimentation, but it was never experimentation in the subjects because the subjects were always just content. Yeah, look, I, I have to admit that I probably didn't choose my degree. My parents did for me um, after being told that I had to take it seriously and um, pick something and... Uh, so you know, I, I I would have picked you. You're not you're not as rebellious as I thought you would have been. <laughs> it was probably more lazy. I just didn't. I hadn't filled in the paperwork, and so mum and dad sat me down and gave me a real hard talking to, and um, and and gave me a list of courses that they thought I should do. Which you know, they obviously know me pretty well, and and knew that I'd be suited to this. Don't you look back, though, and go, man, I would never do that to my kids in terms of go, these are the subjects. Like, my parents did that, or my dad, especially, I've talked about this before, um, did that kind of stuff for me at school. And I look back now going, why did I Why did I go with it? Why did I Why did I agree with this stuff? It was terrible. Yeah, look, I, I think that um, I look at Jack, my um, my almost six-year-old, and I, I think that I'll probably have to give him the same level of encouragement with, you know, here's some oppor opportunities. These are some things that you could pursue. Um, but I, I dare say he'll probably rebel a little bit more than Yeah, but you're but see even just then you were framing it as a question, Laura. <laughs> even if the even if the paths have been decided and there's only two or three of them, at least you're framing it in a way where he feels yes, like that's right. Well that's strategic parenting, isn't it? It is. It is. So, um, 
So when so in ter- in terms of the that move to you know, did did you know when you were in HR from a I, I guess because you know HR has changed its name so many times, but kind of what was the what was the sort of first sort of taste for you that or, or what you were doing that said hey I want to be you know like people and culture the head of this thing I really want to drive the strategy I want to do you know I don't, I don't just want to be carrying out stuff I want to be crafting stuff when did that kind of um when did you sort of land on that was the thing that you wanted to do um it probably took me a while to get there to be honest I I mean really early on in my career I took a very traditional approach to um I guess progression and you know always had my eye on the next role um I've I've always had that sort of mindset and then I when I went on maternity leave with my son um I kind of took a long hard look in the mirror and said that you know I've always been this really creative person and and someone that didn't take the traditional path and so why am I doing this in my career and um, kind of chose at that point to not actually go back into um, the the HR manager role that I was in prior to going on maternity leave um, and started I guess dipping my toe into the thought leadership space and um, I guess looking at you know I was able to work really closely with some incredible thought leaders we did some amazing really radical leadership events Um, I was even part of publishing a journal so I got to do some things that still honoured everything that I'd learnt uh, as part of around culture and leadership and and motivation but um, I guess applied it in a, um, a different world and and got to really um, understand the world of thought leadership, which I guess has really influenced where I've how I've come back into corporate HR and um, and certainly how I approach things these days. And who and who are those sort of you know getting into the whole um, you know, that sort of thought leadership space, or who were there people that you followed, or people that were sort of you know major influences and in terms of that's kind of I want to get into more of that and and follow that kind of thing who are you who are you there's probably two that have um probably been the most influential for me I was really really fortunate and incredibly lucky to work very closely with Dr Jason Fox um who, um, you know, is a huge advocate for pioneering leadership and and works really closely with organisations in that executive space. And, um, you know, being able to work so closely with Jason really opened the way I thought about um, leadership back in corporate. Um, And the other one would be Michael Dixon. Now, um, Michael, uh, you know, I think I originally met him and he was framed to me as someone who was a cultural architect um, and I just loved the concept that someone could come in and, and really design and create and um, culture in organisations that were established. And um, I've got to know Michael over the years and um, as he's kind of evolved into that creative leadership space now, um, which is such an important skill for the future. Um, yeah, so I think yeah. Jason and Michael have, have really been, um, really helped me shape how I think today. Yeah, I've been the, I'm working through uh, Jason's one word um, sort of self development. One word program, uh, yeah. I mean, the one word program. So I've just been, yeah, I'm, I'm working through that yeah, right that's now. That's actually really good. Um, the using a single word to anchor for the year, I think, is such a better approach yeah. than New Year's resolutions and um, all these things that you kind of put forward and, and never actually do. 
um, when I I sort of met Jace probably five years ago now and and he told me about the one word concept um, and yeah I think that gives you a whole new perspective it's great yeah and I think just even just the I think one thing that learning and even leadership when you know I'm talking more in the traditional sense isn't very good at is how to get better at reflecting on things and thinking about things and and as you said sort of that sort of being um, comfortable with uncomfortable and that's the thing I've sort of found with with Jason's stuff is that he is you know gives you some really good tools or even just gives you activities to really reflect on things in your life and mm. think deeply about things which obviously things come out of that that you hadn't even considered or thought about but I think it's that art of reflection um, that people often sort of skim over is actually such a definitely. massive thing for people definitely yeah so 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 from the so how did the how did your current role in terms of Laminex, where did that where did that sort of come about from? What happened there? Um, so I guess I'd spent a couple of years playing in the thought leadership space and um, whilst I have a huge, um, I guess, admiration for, for thought leaders and, and the work that they do and, and um, I guess the, the level of, um, I guess, futuristic views that they're able to, to bring forward um, I, I was certainly passionate about what what transpires when you're actually in a business and you get to see a lot of your um, your, your thinking and your action come to life. Um, and so yeah. that's, um, I guess, when the opportunity at Laminex came up and um, there was originally an OD role, um, I, I sort of thought that that might be a good step in. Plus, with my new future of work and, um, I guess, thought leadership toolkit, um, I was really curious and, um, you know, I'm really big on experimentation. I wanted to see whether or not all of the, the I guess, the models and the concept in the thought leadership space could be applied to an 85-year-old organisation that, um, you know, effectively is one that's, you know, seemingly hard to change. But um, I, I think that stepping into Laminex and, and having that experience and the ability to think a little bit differently um, has really served me well. And, and I've been there for two years now and um, I've, you know, now the head of people and culture. Yeah. And, and I mean, at the end of the day, organisations are simply just made up of a whole heap of individuals. And it's just, as you said, if you've got the if you've got the right leadership group around you and, and you're able to start, you know, and, and you've got a culture of um, of experimentation in terms of people being safe to fail and make mistakes and, you know, the classics of make a mistake and learn from it and then what would you do different to do it? If you're, if you're in a place that uh, supports that and doesn't sweep it under the, sweep it under the rug, then mm. you, can, you can actually do stuff. Yeah. So, so, so how do you how long do you think we're going to be uh, at home for? Uh, for the foreseeable future, I would say. Um, I, I think that, and that's probably two reasons. One, you know, the, the current health pandemic we find ourselves in, but I think because organisations are going to realise that you can be equally as productive working from home um, and having a remote workforce, and so um, there's going to be this flexibility that. Oh, that's that's the thing. People, organisations, people suddenly realise. Look how productive I am. I'm I'm not exactly like that though, because I I stuff around at home and I'm I need to be around. Um, I need some people around my vicinity. But 
people some people realize how 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 much stuff am I getting done now and then sometimes people you know organizations uh, this is where the this is where the four day working week might just take off worldwide but people going man we can do we can do five days worth in four days easy um, in certain roles and yeah who knows what what sort of worldwide changes could mm. come about. And that's why I think it's really important that leaders have, um, I don't know if you've heard of anti-fragile. Um, I, I think if leaders have an anti-fragile mindset, then they're going to really see this as an opportunity to, um, I guess, re- reinvent. Laura, are you, are you introducing a new mindset? No. New have, mindset? You, have you not come across anti-fragile? I, 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 there, there are, there are a number of mindsets that I've, I've, I've heard about, but anti-fragile. Tell, right. tell me more about. Um, this is a, a topic that I love to talk about. So anti-fragile, the best way to look about, I guess, the best way to think about being anti-fragile is, you know, something that is fragile will break upon impact. Um, something that is anti-fragile will strengthen upon impact, and that's exactly the situation that we find ourselves in now. Um, I guess it's that one step beyond resilience. Um, and, you know, the closest, there's actually a book about this, um, the closest thing that has been, I guess, we can relate to this concept of anti-fragility is in Greek mythology um, where the phoenix, I guess, essentially rises from the ashes but comes back in its same form and that's very much what objects that are resilient, um, you know, they obviously bounce back from impact but they 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 essentially come back in their same shape, um, whereas the hydra, um, you know, it goes into battle, it loses a head and two more grow back in its place. So it's essentially strengthening upon impact. Laura, I'm already picturing oh. the next learning program. It is uh, basically Greek mythology at Laminex. Totally. Um, but I, I think that if, um, you know, the Hydra is a, a great example of being anti-fragile, if something strengthens upon impact, then if our leaders look at this opportunity now as, you know, if the world is going through a huge amount of shock, business is going through shock, but how can we, I guess, capitalise on on this opportunity and, and reinvent where we're at? So... Yeah, and, and reinforce all of the people that yeah, that's um, right. are in our bubble. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to do some. I'm going to do. We, 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 well, we'll have to talk more about this um, maybe offline soon because I think there there's some interesting things to explore around that. That uh, probably needs really cool, a, um, a bottle of red. That one. Uh, yeah, but and, but plus because you mentioned Greek mythology, my. Um, I just want to go home and watch Clash of the Titans now on um, TV. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you there. Uh, so thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. And and look, I will um, we'll sort out a we'll sort out that virtual wine soon because I think uh, you know you, you've got to celebrate. I think it's very important right now to to celebrate every 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 day you get through is a win and you've got to celebrate my pleasure i'm really um i think it's been a great chat today and as always um and i look forward to our virtual wine all right cheers i'll be seeing you soon bye all right buddy see ya bye